chapter 4. 2 Kings. I don't know the last time you were in 2 Kings, my friends, but I'm guessing most of you are aware that it quickly follows 1 Kings. When we think of 1 and 2 Kings, my friend, we think of a very, very, very dark time in the nation of Israel. Quite a bit of rebellion happening there, my friends. Rejection of God in so, so many ways. So much so that, my friends, in First King, the whole kingdom is divided in half. Enormous division from the north to the south. And for that time in history, my friends, they referred to the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. But in God's eyes, there was only one. Divided they were. And yet their sin continued. To when we come to Second Kings, my friends, what happens there is God, to discipline His children, removes the nation from its land, takes them into captivity by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Dark, dark times. And I give you the history here, my friends, so that you might see the exceptionalism of the person that we meet in our passage here today. Let's pray together and we'll dive in our study. Our Father in heaven, God, be glorified in our study here today. God, may you be honored as we respond to your word, as we listen carefully that we might understand truth, that we might understand you better, and understand better, God, how we ought to live. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I have a friend that when he had a little boy, was four or five years old, he did this little thing. You know how dads get, get these little things going with their kids, you know? He did this little shadow box thing, left, right, and uh, he'd say, one, two, one, two, and his little boy would, one, two, and he'd jump in the room, one, two, and his, brother, his little boy would jump into the little shadow box, and it's a thing they had. And it was fun, and they enjoyed it, and they got a lot out of it, until one day, Mom took the little boy to a little birthday party. And, you know, they had the games and the hats, and, and there was a particular game that uh, one of the moms there was handing out party favors and came to this little boy named Cam and said, Would you like one, two? And bam, she caught one right in the nose. One, two, my friends. You see what moms have to put up with? If kids aren't bad enough, <laughs> the stuff that dads come up with. And you kind of wonder, you know, what was that lady thinking? This little boy, boom, boom, little combination to the face. What kind of mom does he have? <laughs> But we know the better question is, what kind of dad does he have, huh? Yeah. What kind of mom is she anyway? Wow. I mean, what is a great mom? Well, I'll tell you what a great mom is not going to do here this morning. Experience somebody telling you everything you're doing wrong, you know, from a dad's position. <laughs> that ain't going to happen here today. Because a better question is, 
What does it, what does it uh, make to be a, an influential person in this world? It's true for moms, it's true for dads, it's true for uncles, it's true for aunts, it's true for cousins, all the way down the line, my friend. And we're going to see the example of a woman here today that is exceptional. And yeah, guess what? She's a mom. But not at the beginning of the story. And so take a look with me, if you will, in 2 Kings verse 8. This account begins here in verse 8 with the words, one day. You know, back in the, when we were little kids, it started once upon a time. You know, we know a story's coming. Now one day, Elisha, he's a prophet, he went to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. And so whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat some food. In other words, here's a person who had great resources from God. And the way that she perceived her resources were to be used for other people. And so this prophet traveling from place to place in a very difficult time, where, by the way, preaching the word of God was not well accepted, And whatever she saw him, she said, come in, I'll feed you. And here we see, my friends, the very first attribute that every one of us ought to really practice. And this is the kind of stuff that makes us set apart. This is how we let the light shine that Jesus talked about. When people see stuff in us that is just different than the rest of the world, and then they ask you, why do you do stuff like that? And the big door swings wide open to tell them about your Jesus. Showing compassion to others. You see, she saw the need. I mean, here's this guy traveling, right? Surely he's got to be hungry. Then she took action. Not only did she fix him a meal, look at verse 9. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp so that whenever he comes to us, he can go there. You see what's going on here? As she's not thinking, what can I get out of this? She's saying, what can I invest in this man who is clearly going through a difficult time with a rejection of the Word of God over and over again? She saw the need, my friends, and she took action. Hmm. It reminds me of a story I heard of a man who was walking along the shoreline of an ocean, and he came along this little boy, standing in the midst of a thousand starfish up on the beach. And the little boy would grab one and throw it in. And there were just thousands and thousands of them on the beach. And so this man, he says to the boy, you know, well, what are you up to? What are you doing? He says, I'm throwing the starfish back. Well, look at all of them. You'll never get to all of them. You'll never make a difference here. And the little boy picked up one other, said, made a difference to him, made a difference to this one. And there was a lesson in there for us. 
You know, we talk about change in the world. How about change a life? How about change somebody's afternoon, for heaven's sakes? See the need. Open your eyes, my friends. And when you see it, take action. Because being a person of compassion doesn't mean you have to do something great, my friends. It simply means you have to do something. Something. Well, we could close here, couldn't we? Because you get it. Something. See it. Do it. That's how people change the world. They see a problem and they say, well, maybe I can help be the solution. What about you here this morning? How have you been the solution lately? Well, as we follow this story here in verse 11... A little break made obvious here by the words, One day, one day he came there and he turned into the chambers and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. He didn't even know her name. But that wasn't what mattered to her, that she would be known, but only that she could care. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, Say now to her, see, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? And here it comes. And it isn't that at all. And Elisha said, would you, would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king? How about access? Is that what you want? Or maybe to the commander of the army. Is something unjust happening to you? You want change? This is the big opportunity. And you know what she says? I dwell among my own people. I got everything I need. You see, she didn't do it for anything but for these people. She wasn't looking for an inside position. Access, power, and influence. She had everything she needed. I didn't do it for me. I did it for you. Which leads to our, our second characteristic, my friends, that ought to be true of all of us. We show compassion to others, and we also ought to be content with what we have. Contentment. Wow, godliness is what that looks like. To be content with what you have. There's a devout Quaker who was leaning against his fence watching a new neighbor move in. And you know, it was one thing after another. Appliances and electronic gadgets and plus furniture. Oh my goodness, and the artwork that was going to go on the wall and... All of these wonderful things. And so this onlooker looked, called over to his new neighbor and said, Neighbor, if you should find that you need anything, <laughs> and this guy had it all, he says, come to me and I'll teach you how to learn, live without it. Oh, teach you how to live without it. 
Well, there would be a big character issue right there, friends. Saying no to yourself. I have enough. Says an awful lot about us, my friends, when we can't say no to ourselves. But I'll tell you what, you want to change the world? You've got to be different than the world. You've got to be a person of compassion who acts. A person of contentment who says, I have all that I need. Nothing you have can draw me from my position. Well, tell you what, the prophet wasn't going to take no for an answer here. This lady has done something great for me. She has demonstrated, wait for it, love. Love invests in someone else without hope of repayment. Love says this is an investment in you. Not a trade to get something from you. And you will notice that he continues. And he asks, and he says, look at verse 14, and he said, well, what then is to be done for her? <laughs> you see, I, here we have this prophet who says, I want to show love to her. I want to invest in her. How can I do this? Funny how love impacts people, isn't it? Here is this selfish, selfless woman who is kind and compassionate and giving. What is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, well, she has no son, and her husband is old. I didn't think that's emphasized in the text, but it feels that way. In other words, she doesn't have any children, and it doesn't look like she will. And so he called her, Verse 15, and when he had called her, she stood in the doorway and he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, oh no, my Lord, oh man of God, do not lie to your servant. It seems like a woman who had hoped and wanted and longed for for years and had finally had learned to live without And now this opportunity lie before her. But the woman conceived. The scripture says here in verse 17, And she bore a son about the time that following spring, as Elisha had said to her. And when the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers, and he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head! And the father said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap until noon, and he died. Well, there's a great gift for you. And what do you do when you are devastated? What do you do when you have put away hope because the, the heartache of it all is just too much. And here she is in the midst. I'll tell you what she did, friends. She took her son to the prophet. 
who heard the words of God, who spoke the words of God, who had available to him the power of God. And so she took him to Elisha. Verse 21, And she went up and laid him in the bed of the man of God and shut the door and behind him and went out. And she called to her husband and said, Send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may go quickly to the man of God and come back again. And he said, Will you go to him today? It is neither new moon or Sabbath. And she said, All is well. Then saddled the donkey and she said to her servant, Urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And so she goes with great haste. And with this great haste came great concern. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. And when the man of God saw her coming, she said to Gehazi, his servant, Look, there is the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, All is well. Was she lying there? Or was that faith? Or was that an issue of, I have everything that I need? And that if God chooses to do so, he will do something about my issue. Hmm. And when she came to the mountain, verse 27, to the man of God, she caught a hold of his feet, and Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, Leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, Did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? And he said to Gehazi, Tie up your garments and take my staff in your hand. That uh, expression, tie up your garments, was about speed. You see, they would wear this robe. And what they would do is reach back for the back part of the robe and then buckle it up. And what do you got? A gym suit. <laughs> in other words, get moving. Get moving. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. If anyone greets you, do not reply and lay my staff on the face of the child. Then the mother of the child says, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. You see, this is an example of faith, my friend. She's trusting in God. Now, God had in no way promised that if anything bad happens to your son, I will raise him from the dead. No promise there. Only hope. You see, she's asking. The answer could be no. And that's the issue with prayer anyway. As we go to prayer, we ask for God's will to be done. We ask for his timing in which things will be accomplished in the way God wants it and when he wants it. And what we say is, we trust you with that. We don't have to understand it. What we do is we trust. We don't live on answers, my friends. We as believers live by faith. And she runs. And she asks. 
She believed that the same God that gave her a son could give him back. That's some really great faith. You've ever lost anyone and who hasn't? You've wondered such things. I mean, think of all of the people that God raised from the dead. And then we forget, think of all the people God didn't raise from the dead. But there, in faith, she pursues. So Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child. But there was no sound or sign of life. That's verse 31. Therefore, he returned to me to meet him and told him the child has not awakened. There's some expectation it would. What kind of wood was that staff made of, huh? Friends, they were trusting God, not a hunk of wood. But notice verse 32. When Elisha came into the house... He saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them. And he prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lie on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house. He went up and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times. And the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her. And when she came to him, he said, Pick up your son. And she came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. And she picked up her son and went out. What a fascinating story. What a wonderful account recorded and preserved for us, my friends, that we might be challenged, that we might know the way that we ought to live, compassion to others, contentment with what we have, and most importantly, a great faith in God. A great faith in God. Well, let's wrap it up here. A sermon in a sentence sounds like this, friends. Faith is what sets us apart, opens closed doors, and demonstrates the power of God. We trust Him and we pray. We trust Him and we go. We trust Him and we open our mouths and tell others. And then we see the power of God at work. Faith, my friends is what sets us apart. So be lovers of others rather than lovers of things today. Watch yourself on that, friends. Guard yourself from greed. That is the direct opposite path. It is away from godliness as opposed to toward godliness. Guard yourself from greed. And trust God in every circumstance. Because my friends, while he, doesn't, he may not get you out, He will most certainly get you through whatever it is you face. Trust Him. That's where you get peace, by the way. You know what peace is? Everybody knows what it feels like. It's hard to define now. Peace is the possession of adequate resources. There is nothing more peaceful to know that you have everything that you need. And you know where we get peace? From trusting in God. 
because God will meet our every need. He will do it for His glory and for our good. So be people of faith. Check yourself. When's the last time you've exercised faith? Stepped outside of your comfort zone, knowing what God has called you to do, and you do it. Not waiting to figure out what the results will be, but simply trusting those things to God. Want to be a great mom? There's some great characteristics of a great mom. Want to be a great dad? Same thing, friends. Come back next June and we'll uh, talk about the same stuff. (laughs) I kid you. We'll have a different text for you. But hold on to this stuff, my friends. This is what changes us. See it. Act on it. And you bring glory to God and you change lives. And if we all start to do this, you know what happens? We change the world. We change our community. We change our church. And God is honored. And isn't that the goal anyway? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, we love you. We are inspired by these things. We want to be people of compassion who see it and do something about it. They want to be like that little boy. To know that while we may not change the world, we could change somebody's day, somebody's week, or somebody's life. God, help us to take these steps of faith, to honor you and to make a difference to others. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing.